Papercut podcast strives to be evocative and inclusive. Every Monday, we cut below the surface with folks that make the Winnipeg arts and culture scene thrive. Welcome to a very special season finale episode of Papercut Podcast. My name is Jared Gochek. I'm Olivia Michaelchuk, and we are here with Al Simmons. Hello. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I didn't get a paper cut when I came in. I, I'm disappointed. Is that, you get that on the way? You get the it initi- on the, at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, it's That's at the, the end. initiation yeah. part. We cut deep first and then we give you the paper cut at the okay, end. Okay, that would become like uh, paper brothers and sisters or blood sisters. Yeah, that's yeah. what we did. We did I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, so uh, no one was injured in the making of this paper so cut far. podcast. So far, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you were telling us about yourself. Well, um, you know, for those of you folks that are listening that are not in the know, I am uh, (laughs) beloved family entertainer Al Simmons. Uh, But I wasn't always uh, beloved and I wasn't always a family entertainer. (laughs) And uh, but I've been traveling, doing shows for 50 years now. Wow. And uh the only way to really describe who I am is potentially to describe the future shows I've got coming up or uh, my past, because it's pretty hard to describe what it is I do on stage and, and who I am. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's dig into the past first. Let's go back. Let's go back in time. That's a fun thing, too, because... Uh, um, 50 years ago, and it's it's actually a lie because it's 50 years um, coming up in May of 2019. I my math was a little bit off, but 50 years is close enough. Yeah. But in in around uh, May of nine, uh, 20 May of uh, 19 uh, t- 1970. No, 19. What, what year am I talking? Where, where's my math? 69. Okay, yeah, that would yeah, make sense. In May of 69. No, that it would, would be, make sense. That would be 50 years. So, Wouldn't it be 60 years? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 69. We're not a math podcast. So no, but yeah, 69 till uh, 2019. The people that are listening to this are saying, that's 50 years. What's their problem? Oh, whoops. Okay. It's got to be 50 years. I believe you. Yeah, it is. Anyway. Anyway, it is, it is, it is, it is. Here's the, I, it's hard to figure where to put a marker because uh, I started uh, realizing that I could make people laugh when my Aunt Margaret said to my mom after I did something, she said to my mom, oh, Albert's really good at mugging, isn't he? Mugging. And, yeah, and that's what I said. Mugging? What's mugging? I was probably only seven, eight, eight years old, something like that. And my mom said, it's making faces, dear. And don't make a face like that. It'll freeze like that. It'll stay that way. Mm-hmm. And it did. Look at me now. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, if I wanted to go back in time, I could say that was when I started entertaining because I knew that I was complimented on something, on making funny faces. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the the time I'm using is when I, it, it was semi-professional. And what happened was I was uh, doing, uh, I would go to, well, in school, I would goof around a little bit. People in school said that I um, uh, I was quiet 
and hardly said anything, but when I did, it was usually funny. And I remember that when the teacher would ask a question or something and I put up my hand and my answer would always be something funny uh, because I thought it was clever. And I always got away because I had a, a nice smile on my face. The teacher let me get away with it. It was usually a, a clever pun or something because mm -hmm. my parents were punsters and and uh but it wasn't until I left school uh and I uh was going to saloons in Winnipeg with my buddies, my drinking buddies. Mm -hmm. Uh we were going into bars underage and in 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 those days in the 60s in the bars in Winnipeg there was any kind of performer from old vaudevillians that still existed doing vaudeville shows. There was a, a guy, a ventriloquist with his dummy mm -hmm. uh, on doing shows, as well as uh, uh, a guy doing blackface, uh, Al Jolson imitations, uh, a guy in a grass skirt, Charlie Smith, playing a ukulele, and he had a monkey on his shoulder. And <laughs> then as well as that, there were hard rock bands playing in bars and country and Western and Frank Sinatra imitators. It was a whole gamut of performers going into bars in Winnipeg. That's definitely a different time. Oh, yeah. it was amazing. And then um, uh, uh, when I turned 21, uh, um, and uh, they, this, the drinking age was 21. And when I turned 21, uh, a, a few, like a, maybe a year later, the drinking age went to 18. Uh, and the demographic in the bars changed immediately, like from going from 21 to 18. All of a sudden, all of those novelty acts were gone because no one went to see them. They were all going to see the bands play. Mm -hmm. So the, the, turn, the changeover was astounding. So anyway, I, I was going to the bars underage and seeing all these novelty acts and seeing the, the rock bands. And pretty well every band I went and saw with my buddies, I'd always say to them, I'm going to end up on stage before the night is done. And I'd just walk past the stage between songs or at the beginning of a song. And if a band was playing a song that I knew, I would sing loudly as I'm walking <laughs> past. And invariably, the singer would hold the microphone down to me to sing and I'd sing into the microphone, let them hold the mic for me and I'd sing, the crowd would cheer and I'd be dragged on stage and I'd take the mic and I'd sing the song and then go and sit down. And it, it happened so many times because I would time it right to walk past in time to do that. Anyway. What are some of these bands that well, you Well, one of the past? bands, the bands that I liked, I liked the, the, uh, the, the more novelty bands, but there was anything from any of the music playing in the 60s and, and early 70s could have been uh, heavy metal even or whatever. Uh, but I liked the, the more novelty bands. There was a polka band, for lack of a better term, they, they sang uh, Beatles songs in Ukrainian on stage. And wow. they, they're, they were called the D-Drifters. And I was a big fan of theirs. They were uh, Log Las Vegas style professional they they came out and they just glowed on stage they were all dressed the same and their in between song patter was perfect and funny and clever and uh so i used to go see them 
I never got invited on stage by them. I was too intimidated. But one of the other bands uh, that I'd go and see was the Vicious Circle, which was the McLean brothers, Gary and Blair McLean, mm -hmm. who went on to become McLean and McLean. Uh, and but they were uh, they were really polished too, and I never got invited on stage with them. But uh, some of the other ones, I forget their names. They were just cover bands, you know. But oh, these right. two bands, they were unique, doing their own style. But anyways, uh, in in between the the their their sets, the McLean brothers. It, the vicious circle in between their sets they were a comedy band i would do comedy from my table i would just make stuff up and yell things and get the audience singing along with me uh <laughs> my buddies and i i would just i would just be so exuberant that i uh i ended up uh gary and blair mclean noticed me and came over and talked to me night after every I'd go and see them they got to know me by by name they talked to me every time I'd come and uh, next thing I know I got a phone call at home from their agent asking if I would uh, take part in a, a fundraiser at Pantages Playhouse Theatre they he asked if I would be the comedy relief in between acts there and mm -hmm. I said absolutely so that was my first professional job. He hired me to do. I didn't know what I was going to do. He said, I want you to do maybe five or six, uh, three or four minute bits. So I developed uh, uh, three of them and I went there and he gave me other things to do uh, that he made up. This was Len Andre, their agent, and he, he was an old vaudevillian. So he had me. Could you explain vaudeville quickly well, for people vaudeville, that don't know what that is? Yeah, well, vaudeville, it, it's hard to describe what it is. It, I think it had its origins with British Music Hall, which was uh, 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 in, Brit in, in England, that they, um, uh, a variety of performers would be on stage. And uh, they'd sing novelty songs like, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, there they are, a-standing in a row. And, um, uh, they, you know, and, and it came to North America. And during the, the uh, uh, early 1900s, there were variety acts from, uh, they'd have comedians, jugglers, acrobatics, mm -hmm. uh, 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 singers, even theater, like someone would come out and do an excerpt from Hamlet or Macbeth, and then next person come up would do a pie in the face and uh, <laughs> or, you know pants falling down, or uh, and then there'd be an opera singer and it'd be a, a juggler, and uh, hmm. some of the acts from then ended up going on to TV, uh, Burns and Allens, uh, and uh, anyway, it, it was a a, a novelty variety act, so. This guy, Len Andre, used to do pantomime in Winnipeg. He put on a record and mouthed the words to it. And it would be a novelty song like Spike Jones, uh, where Spike Jones played a cowbell piano and a bicycle horn, uh, like xylophone. And uh, uh, so he'd sing, uh, uh, Chloe. Chloe uh, and uh, nightshades falling 
you'd hear the clatter like he'd throw tin cans into a garbage can and it would make a bunch of noise and mm -hmm. he'd, they'd burp in time with the music and stuff like that but Len Andre <laughs> would pantomime that and uh, uh, do all the body movements to to correspond with with these sound effects too but uh, he ended up being an eight when 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 the the bar scene changed he became an agent like he saw the opening for booking these bands in so he booked countless bands in wow and uh, uh, so he booked all uh, this Ukrainian band and like the D drifters and the vicious circle and another act uh, speed Walker who sang uh, Frankie Lane and Frank Sinatra and type songs uh, and anyway so uh, Len Andre put on this event which was a, basically a showcase for all of his bands they would play one after the other and in between he had a, a few novelty acts so it was sort of a throwback to vaudeville and he had uh, one of the acts he had was a, a East Indian fakir who came out and sat on a bed of nails or lay down on a bed of nails mm -hmm. and then he took beer bottles and smashed them up on the floor and then walked on oh, the beer bottles yeah. with bare feet and wow. walking with bare feet I think he'd crawl across it too this is in between bands in between the bands <laughs> wow so so uh, uh, and then and uh, Len Andre had me do bits in the thing too and one of them was he teamed me up with the drummer from my favorite band, the D Drifters, mm -hmm. teamed me up with him. It was Mike Clem, and uh, and oh, there was other another gal there, and I her name her name escapes me, darn it. But uh, the three of us were to go in the audience, and I was dressed as a doctor with the rubber gloves on, and uh, 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 Mike Clem had a a bag full of stuff and uh, the gal was dressed as a nurse and we went up and surrounded a woman in the audience and I said uh, I yell out sponge and he'd hand me a sponge sponge and scalpel he hand me some like scalpel and then uh, hacksaw hacksaw ball peen <laughs> hammer like hand, handing me all the I'm yelling out these absurd things and he's handing them you know like loaf of bread milk jug you know whatever I'm just calling these bizarre things yeah and then and then I lift up a baby like a, a doll yeah and slap it's behind and Mike Klim cried like a baby and then I said to the woman congratulations it's a boy and gave it to her the doll and we packed up and walked away <laughs> it was horrible and it was so wrong in so many ways it, it, even in those days like today it's even worse that was Len Andre's idea of me doing that yeah it was so bizarre but it got a laugh right that's and it the was, strangest thing oh, between music between the music I went and did that <laughs> and so was this at the Pantages, Pantages show yeah, this was, was the first show that you had the been the first before. show that I did wow that was probably <laughs> the first thing no the first thing I did was I walk out and I sold popcorn this was Len Andre's idea sold popcorn took a dime and said thanks for the donation to the cancer society is who the benefit was for mm -hmm. and 
took the dime and then squished the box in such a way that Len Andre told me that the bottom fell out and the popcorn fell all, all over the person that just bought it. I had people screaming mad at me. Oh, no. I did, that was I did, the first thing, too. <laughs> I didn't see what the humor was, but he told me to do it, so I did it. People were yelling at me, you jerk face. Anyway. Oh, no. And then later on, after, after delivering the baby with Mike Clem, uh, we... Uh, I between the acts again I came from the the audience end from the end and was yelling making noise oh, 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 and ran up to the stage and climbed on the stage and I remember somehow I got my feet and my hands on the stage and reached my hand behind me and pulled myself the rest of me on the stage by the seat of my pants <laughs> it was like some miracle comedy thing I did I don't know how I did it it was it defeated like gravity somehow but anyway I got on the stage and I got up there and I had designed these pants I wore my dad's oversight he my dad was a big man he had these big pants and I had suspenders and I got on stage and did a goofy dance ending up doing a high leap in the air and came down and threw my suspenders off and my pants fell down and I was w wearing colorful shorts mm -hmm. and uh, and looked down and feigned embarrassment like like oops and then went to walk off stage and tripped on the pants on purpose and fell down and landed on one of the fakir's broken pieces of glass oh. on my hand and cut my hand and crawled off stage and uh, went backstage and taped it up with uh, gaffer tape, with duct tape, uh, to stop the bleeding, and then carried on with the rest of the show. Oh my gosh, you wow. had a terrible introduction. Yeah, and no. Why did you keep doing it? Well, oh, and then I, <laughs> but now I realize it was after that that I did the doctor thing because I had trouble getting the rubber gloves over the <laughs> over the duct tape. <laughs> but anyway, I that was. The, the thing and these bands that knew me from the bars I went I knew all the bands that were playing there they they watched me do my crazy stuff there and uh, they all encouraged me they said you're fantastic you got to do this you got to get doing this more so you know and that was at the after party we went to an after party and then from there I went to the hospital and got seven stitches in my hand wow yeah seven and, and this, what was your job? What was your daytime job during this time? During that time, I was a clerk at uh, Manitoba Hydro. A clerk? Yeah, I was uh, filling filling files and writing names on files and delivering prints to the to the engineers on the fourth floor of Manitoba Hydro building. So that's a very different... Oh, a different thing, yeah. 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 So then when did you stop having a... Day job. Well, I, when I would go to work, I would part of my job was delivering prints. Like they would send me to uh, the photocopying room uh, to get their gigantic diagrams of station designs and uh, tower designs, and I'd get them copied and bring them back up, and then they'd mark them up. I'd take them down again, and uh, each time I would visit uh, one of the engineers up there. Uh, they would say, hey, Al, how are you doing? 
what'd you do last night? And I'd tell them a story. So this was a story. I said, well, I danced and I cut my hand and I told, did this and that. <laughs> and then I would go to the next engineer and, and they'd say, how are you doing? And I would tell the same story, but I would enhance it. Mm -hmm. I'd kept and I would tell, make, tell a funny joke. And then the next guy would tell the same joke, but do it a little better. And so I got known as the, the funny guy. And and uh, by the end, they were all encouraging me too. You you should do this for a living. You should do this. So then I I was also in Air Cadets at the time and uh, uh, going to Air Cadets every Friday night. And I was an uh, Air Cadet officer and teaching classes and stuff there. So I would entertain the cadets with with silly stories too and like to explain the theory of flight with humor too mm -hmm. so it was everything sort of kept building one on the other and then it came time i was going to go to air cadet camp for the summer and uh so i just quit my job at manitoba hydro and said uh i'm gonna quit and go to air cadet camp because i'd be paid as an officer there anyway and and then i said i'm gonna be an entertainer and uh so one day I'm earning minimum wage at Manitoba Hydro, and the next day I'm an unemployed entertainer. <laughs> <laughs> but I went, the funny, the amazing thing was I went to Air Cadet. It, it all seems to make logical sense now when I think of it. When I went to Air Cadet camp, I was, uh, 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 you know, it would be a two-week camp. So there'd be cadets from all across Canada come in for a two-week camp. And then at the end, they would leave, and then a bunch more would come for another two-week camp. And it went each two weeks all during the summer for two months. And at, on the Thursday of the end of the two weeks, there would be a party for the officers and instructors. Uh, and uh, at the party would be a theme. They had a theme for every, every party. And uh, one theme was, uh, whatever it was, uh, told me to get a ukulele and uh, an out my dad had outrageous costumes at home. Uh, Why did he, he have outrageous He was a collector of bizarre things. Uh -huh. He had hats, crazy hats, costumes. So he had a drapery suit, a suit made out of drapes. Like oh. they, it looked like drapes. And so my mom sent me that and I bought a ukulele and learned how to play it. And I went and played ukulele and wore that suit. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the theme was. But anyway, the last theme of the last party was uh, um, the moon or man on the moon because uh, they just landed on the moon. I was at Air Cadet. Wow. Camp. <laughs> yeah, it's I was at Air Cadet camp and I remember walking up through the air cadet lounge where the air cadets were and there was a tv on and they were broadcasting the walking on the moon wow and i looked and thought what and went out and looked at the moon like <laughs> what <laughs> really it seems pretty far <laughs> this is crazy it's just it's mind-blowing to think that and here i'm at air cadet camp mm -hmm. where cadets are learning how to fly and to think like going from from the Wright brothers to to landing on the moon in in less than a hundred years, like how is that possible? 
So no wonder there's conspiracy theories. But anyway, <laughs> so it, I've I've gone deep into those conspiracy theories. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm bad for them. Oh, you believe it too? I, yeah. I I believe in the conspiracy. Theory. Okay, we, good. we've had some conversations about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, anyway, <laughs> so it was the man on the moon. So I decided to go dressed as a moon man. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, obviously. Oh, there was one small little detail I left out, uh, is that I went to, uh, uh, I'm not sure what inspired what, but my dad passed away uh, shortly after, or right around the time I did that Pantages Playhouse thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it was prior, or just... It was. It, it must have been prior because he they he didn't come. They didn't come to see me. My dad never saw me perform, so he must have passed away prior to that. And then after that, I I quit my job at Manitoba Hydro and I went on on a drive. I bought a Datsun and I. My dad was uh, uh, born in in Romania, moved to Alberta, uh, moved to Hamilton moved to Detroit and lived in Chicago and New York. So I just went on a driving trip, visited the places he lived. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, it's incredible when I think of it. I drove to Detroit, Chicago, New York, and was home in a week. Wow. It was, it was that fast. And in the process, I shaved my head bald. And so I went to uh, air cadet camp bald, and uh, by by the time it was Moon Man, I had a th- thin bit of fuzz up there, and so I died. I I put up, made a, a aluminum foil hat mm-hmm. headgear and uh, aluminum foil costume, and dyed my. I wore green nylon stockings mm-hmm. and uh, green booties and. Uh, uh, I had a green T-shirt, but I so and then I dyed my skin skin green with green food coloring and my face, and my ears like everything green with green food coloring, and went to the party, and went around and secretly put green food coloring in everybody's drinks when they weren't looking, <laughs> and upset everybody. Oh no! But, uh, <laughs> and then the band came to play that night. And they were an incredible band. I wish I could find out their name. They had a horn section, like uh, trombone, saxophone, trumpet, uh, and uh, guitar, like guitar, bass, drums, piano, keyboard. Like they were massive sounding, incredible. And uh, their lead singer was sick. And they apologized at the beginning of the night and said, our lead singer didn't show up. So we're just going to play and you sing along or whatever. So, of course, how long did it take before I ended up on stage? (laughs) And any of the songs I didn't know, I made up words or just mumbled the words. And they were singing anything from Beatles songs to uh, uh, Blood, Sweat and Tears, David Clayton Thomas or like whatever. And I, I knew a lot of them from the hit parade. And I just stayed on stage singing with them the whole time because there was nobody else. <laughs> nobody was handing <laughs> you the they mic. Were, they weren't pushing me off. They said, what else do you know? What do you know? So I'm telling them songs I knew. And uh, so anyway, the ego burst that gave to me, 
I just came back to Winnipeg full of myself, ready to go. Just could hardly wait to get something happening. So that's that's basically the story of the beginnings. Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's crazy when you think of how things unfolded like that for mm -hmm. me. It seems miraculous. like they lined up, yeah. Yeah, it's miraculous. <laughs> yeah. So now take us to part two. When you got back to Winnipeg, you had all these ideas. Yeah, Did well, they then, immediately come to fruition? Or? Then I I went to see... Uh, uh, I still went back to the bars to see these bands, and I carried on with them. But I believe it was then... And I didn't know what I wanted to do, what form of entertainer. I, and I might have the facts mixed up, but I believe it was then I went with uh, my buddies... Uh, to Portage La Prairie, my friend's parents had a cottage in uh, uh, up near Portage La Prairie there. Uh, marsh, the marshland at the south end of uh, Lake Manitoba. Okay. Anyway, in the Delta Beach, that's it, Delta Marsh. Uh, and anyway, so... And it was his grandpa's place, but he had the key and we went there for the weekend. I remember it was cool, getting cool, so uh, even snow falling. So that was probably then. And I, oh, I didn't tell you after that, <laughs> after that party, we should go back to the party. I dyed my skin green. Oh, yeah. And the next day we had the final inspection for the cadets that oh, were no. leaving. <laughs> and of course, the green didn't wash off. I had no idea it wouldn't come out. No one, this wasn't on the bottle. Do not use a skin dye. So I scrubbed and scrubbed that night. It wouldn't come off. So I went to the cadet, the final inspection, as an air cadet officer with green skin. Oh, no. Dressed in uniform and inspected the cadets and said goodbye with green skin. Never announced why or anything. Did anybody ask? I don't think anyone asked. <laughs> <laughs> Just seemed normal to them but anyway so we anyway we went to Portage La Prairie and there was a bar there and my buddy who was one of the performers I would go and see all the time Speed Walker was performing there and he sang Frank Sinatra songs Frankie Long, uh, Lane songs like uh, Mule Train yeah and um uh an old call poke quit riding out one dark stormy day Yippee-yay, yippee-yay-o. Uh, and Frank Sinatra songs and like all of these crooner songs, Dean Martin and stuff. And uh, that's the music that I truly loved when kids in school were arguing over who was better, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. I was saying, no, Dean Martin's the best. <laughs> uh, but so I went and saw him lots and I would sing along with him in the audience. And in Portage La Prairie, I don't know what possessed him, but he said, uh, Al, come up and sing three songs. You know all my songs. Sing any three you want. The band knows them. You sing in the same key. So he said, in the middle of his set, I'd like to bring up Al Simmons to sing some songs. So I went up and sang three of his songs that I knew. The band backed me up. They were stellar players. He had the best drummer uh, this drummer went on, uh, Tom Jestad, went on to Toronto to play in all of the major touring shows, like Les Mis, 
uh, he was the first call to do the touring Broadway shows. He was the drummer. Wow. Because wow. he, he could read music and improvise and everything. And the keyboard player was astounding, too. I forget his name. But I went up and sang his songs. And because I stepped out of the audience onto his stage, the, the audience went wild. It was like, he this that guy's one of us. And he's on stage. You know, it was way different than if I was the performer there. So they just loved me mm -hmm. because I was like, look at that guy. He's just a regular Joe, and he's up there singing. So I'm telling you, that was the end. My ego was about to explode. I just thought, there's nothing going to stop me. So I said to Speedwalker, I want to do, this is what I want to do. What? How, how do I do this? And the advice he gave me, he said to me, you have to want it so bad you can taste it. Mm -hmm. What does it taste like? I walked away thinking, what? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that good advice. What? What, <laughs> what does that mean? Anyway, I don't know what it meant. but Oh, so you've never tasted it. I didn't it. know. So I went and put... <laughs> I didn't taste. I didn't know the taste. I had heartburn. Maybe that was the cause. Heartburn. <laughs> so the taste I, of success gave you heartburn? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> A taste of success. That's it. So I put an ad in the paper, singer, looking for a band. And <laughs> I uh, got phone calls, mm -hmm. and I go to the band, and I cannot believe <laughs> my stupidity or my foolishness. Now, if I was going to do that, I would go and I would have songs. I would have charts. I would have, you know, I would say, you know, this song in this key or, you know, I would have some inkling, like something. I went to them and they say, what do you want to sing? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and they'd say, well, how about sing Ray Charles something? So they'd play something and I'd sing it. And, you know, I'd see them muttering about themselves. You know, this guy sucks. <laughs> what the heck is this all about? I couldn't, I didn't have any tunes, any ideas of what I wanted to do. Not a clue. And uh, I remember I've, I've seen the drummer since. I can't remember who he I wish I could remember his name. I got no idea of who to even ask. But I saw him since, and he, he said, you auditioned for our band once. We didn't know what to make of you after you left. So how long were you going around? Well, I went to a few, bands? and then I, I, there was one distinctly I remember that was awful. I was sweating. It was embarrassing. And then I went to another one. And then the third one I went to, uh, the keyboard player, Bob Peters was his name. And the band, they were called Just Us Three. And there were just three musicians, drum, bass, and this keyboard guitar, multi-instrumentalist. It was just the three of them. And uh, so I said, I don't know what to sing. And he said, well, you sort I had horn rim glasses. He said, you sort of look like Buddy Holly sing but sing this song and I said well, I don't know it so he wrote the words down for me and he sang it for me and so it goes like this and then I sang it and he said yeah that's pretty good well, what about this song he said what do you know and I said well Dean Martin and he said okay sing that and I sang uh, uh, well it's lonesome in this old town no it was little old wine drinker me 
sang that song and he knew it and he so he said okay that was good and and then he said well do you have gigs and I said yeah my friend Len Andre is an agent he, he, he'd get me gigs for sure oh you can get you got work <laughs> okay so I lied and said I got work so he said okay let's get together and rehearse you think up some song we'll think up some songs so we got together and started rehearsing and uh, and then this keyboard player said I've got work I've got us a gig at the zoo, mm -hmm. the Osborne Village Zoo, which still existed up until a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was the, those days, I don't know about lately, but in those days it was these, it was the place to go to score drugs. Oh. I think right up until the end. Right? Yeah. yeah. Until the end, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that was my first paid gig with this band I was in. And uh, we were filling in for Diane Hetherington and the Electric Banana. And they were <laughs> they were one of the bands in Winnipeg. They she was like Winnipeg's uh, Janis Joplin. Wow. wow, she was astounding singer and a good name to boot. Yeah, the Electric Banana. Electric yeah. Banana, yeah, yeah, I like that name. And uh, <clears throat> she she was she was incredible. What a band! They they incredible band. The best players. And uh, she's famous for confronting uh, Led Zeppelin was in town doing a show along with uh, the Electric Banana. And they were doing a show at an outdoor venue, like probably at the, um, uh, at the stadium. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, uh, they, it poured rain. So they canceled and uh, they moved it to the arena. And... Uh, Led Zeppelin said, we're not playing. We were contracted to play in that venue. It's on the contract. We're not going to play. Too bad. So, you know, the rest of you can go on, but we're not going to. And she went up to them. She pounded on their hotel room and said, you guys, there's kids out there that paid good money to come and see you. Probably, you know. I think it was four eighty. Yeah, I remember four eighty. Yeah, yeah, four four dollars and eighty cents. They paid four dollars and eighty cents to come and see you, and you better darn well play. And she was so forceful that they did. Nice. They wow. did play. Nice. That, she's famous for doing that, but she's famous in my books for having a gig at the Plaza Hotel, and uh, two days prior canceling because they got a better gig somewhere for way more money probably a social or a wedding or something yeah. and uh canceling and there were no bands available in winnipeg except for bob peters and his band just us three so oh they go. got the gig and me so we <laughs> went there and the sign was still up Appearing tonight, Saturday night, Diane Hetherington and the merry-go-round. Or the electric banana they were at that time. Right. And so the place was packed. Oh, no. People to see them. And here I come out, and I'm wearing the same suit that I wore at Manitoba Hydro. And I've got my short haircut from when I shaved my head. And the place is full of long hair, hippie people looking for drugs they 
hated me. <laughs> Is that strong enough terms? Oh, I understand. <laughs> yeah. They despised me. Oh, no. Is it because you were a suit? You wore the no, suit? No. You were was, the man that night. It was Yikes. probably <laughs> the way I was singing way. and everything. Yeah. Oh. I played tambourine and cowbell. Uh-huh. And I remember... They didn't like that. One of the songs I sang was, Proud Mary, keep on burning. Rolling, <laughs> rolling down the river. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's how you did it? I do, it wasn't that bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, oh, my heavens. And I, you know, I sang Buddy Holly and... But they were there to see uh, Diane Hetherington sing all of her songs, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Holy. I'm lucky we got <laughs> out of there alive. Wow. My mom and my sister came to, and my brother-in-law came to see me. My sister and brother-in-law have come to see pretty well every single show I've ever done. Wow. Locally here. Nice. Anyway, they came to see me there, and apparently our next door neighbor was there. <laughs> hurling the worst insults at oh, me. Oh, no. <laughs> and the, uh, we got to the last, like we, the, the, Bob Peters said, we need 27 shows, 27 songs to get through uh, an evening. Wow, that's a he, lot of songs. He did the math. Yeah. He figured it out. Well. And my guess now is three sets, nine songs each. Mm -hmm. So we got to the last set of the evening and I the whole thing was made up of uh, we did this song earlier on but we've got a request to do it again so we'll do it again because we ran out of stuff <laughs> so I'm singing again proud Mary keep on burning and well that'll be the day when you say goodbye anyway I've got requests they I've asked any requests send them up we'll try and do them and the requests were get an effing band <laughs> go back to the high school choir where you belong. They were. Wow. It was on and on and on. I'm so and sorry for laughing, but it's so good. It was on. It was just relentless. Oh. Um. And uh, the very next week, I had my through my agent. I had lined up a show in Portage La Prairie. Mm-hmm. Uh, in not in the same bar that my friend was in because that was the the main bar there we were in the second class bar the mayfair hotel across the street so anyway we had that as the next gig and uh i went there with a box of my dad's hat collection i took a whole bunch of hats from his hat collection so when someone would request a song if it was a cowboy sign I put a cowboy hat on, and if it he had countless costumes, uh, sang a Johnny Cash prisoner song. I put a prisoner hat on my head, mm -hmm. and I had hats for any occasion. And when I put a hat on, the audience paid attention. Plus, it, they weren't there to buy drugs; they were to buy booze and get drunk. So. Different audience. It was a different audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they were requesting songs that I happened to know. And, uh, uh, you know, the occasional Dean Martin song or, uh, you know, songs that that I knew and could do. And the band was so good, they played anything. It didn't matter. So uh, 
with the different hats they a hat on, suddenly they're listening to me. And I put a hat on, instead of just singing the song, I act out the lyrics. Mm -hmm. So suddenly it's, it's, I turn it in, each song, the lyrics, no matter how inane they are, they become, I perform them. And it became almost like my style that I, I held for the, I've been doing for the rest of my career. Act mm -hmm. out the words. Mm -hmm. And it was like the turning point from me being despised by an audience to be beloved <laughs> was like one day, two days. Wow. And the learning curve was instantaneous. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating to a point because we still had days when, uh, when it was horrible. But for the most part, it, it was uh, up all the way. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So when did the bar scene transfer over to a family entertainer? Well, it went, it, it, it made a progression from that uh, gradually over maybe six years. And part of that was uh, due to requests. So we would, I would ask for requests all the time. And they would request songs and I would act them out. And then they ended up becoming routines and then people would come and request the funny routine they saw the night before so i sort of built up a repertoire of audience requests and the audience knew what tunes they liked and what worked and what didn't work so it sort of steered like that those but were all covers at the time though all covers songs right. and then one of the things and then i i worked that uh leaping high in the air pants falling down routine into the show too mm -hmm. because it was something that I did that got a laugh and at this Mayfair hotel the owner came up and said to me uh, I want you to advertise the Mona Loa lounge which is open uh, for two hours after the bar closes they're open till two or three in the morning or something so advertise that when you're when you're done here if you're not drunk enough go there and you can drink some more so I figured, yeah, I'll do that for you. So I went the next day and bought a Hawaiian outfit <laughs> with a lei and coconut brassiere and uh, ended up on stage with that and uh, uh, advertised the Mona Lowell Lounge is open later. So I'd come on stage with coveralls, leap up in the air and my coveralls would fall down and I'd be dressed in a Hawaiian outfit and do the Hawaiian dance and say, uh, go to the Moa Lounge. And he loved it. He, was, he thought this was so great. He booked us for three months in advance, uh, a week at a time. Wow. So I thought, this, I, this is the big time. So I <laughs> thought, every bar I'm going to, I'm going to develop a routine just for them. So that became costumes. I ended up adding costumes to it, too. And the next costume I added, we were at the Cavalier... A hotel in Transcona, mm -hmm. which at the time was called the Gay Cavalier Hotel. That was its name, the Gay Cavalier. So, of course, I came on Monday night uh, for one of the act dressed as the Gay Cavalier. Mm -hmm. Whatever that is. Just a Cavalier. Whatever but... <laughs> a Cavalier is, I yeah. was a Gay Cavalier and uh, dressed as one. And uh, the audience there, not that I didn't realize, was bikers oh and uh 
a gay cavalier did not go over well. Even though they were at a bar called the Gay Cavalier? Yes. Strange? Yeah. Well, they didn't acknowledge the gay part. So a number of years later, it's probably me that did it. But maybe the next year they changed it to just the Cavalier. Right. So the gay, not all of my routines went over. Right. So that was a dud. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, over the years it progressed gradually. And then I ended up... uh, uh, the, that band morphed into another band and became uh, the keyboard player Bob Peters said you're funny, you're wacky you're out to lunch, we should call the band Out to Lunch <laughs> so that band became Out to Lunch and we were known as a comedy dance band and ended up with incredible players the keyboard player was David Dean uh, who would he would play box canata and fugue in G minor or whatever and he played with his feet on the feet of the B3 organ and like he had foot pedals for it to play the bass parts and the and two Leslie speakers and it just blow the audience away and they we played anything from uh Santana uh Lighthouse, like Chicago, heavy, these heavy tunes and and comedy. And I developed a routine with them uh, based on Sesame Street, which just came out. And I loved the Muppets on Sesame Street. So we did a Sesame Street routine with where the the guitar player was Cookie Monster and I was Grover Monster. And we we did different routines in in there, but in the bar. Mm -hmm. And Hmm. uh, and then that band uh, broke up, and I put an ad in the paper to form another band. And uh, uh, the guitar player was going to come with me, but he dropped out. And at, at that time, I reconnected with my air cadet pal, Fred Penner, and uh, got a drummer from an ad Whoa. in the paper. And, <laughs> uh, and Fred Penner, and I, and I asked a, a friend of mine what a funny bass player is, so I got this Norm Andrews guy. Norm Andreu and Fred and the drummer and I became Cornstock. The, the, we were rehearsing funny stuff and the drummer said, you guys are corny. You should call yourself Cornstock because you're stocking corny jokes. Like, wow. Oh. That's a good play on words. Yeah. yeah. Hey, yeah. And it, because yeah. of, of uh, Woodstock, Cornstock. <laughs> so we ended up Cornstock and we ended up our first gig was one that Out to Lunch was supposed to do with this heavy keyboard player and everything, like the like the heavy band with the comedy. We were playing in Calgary, and uh, they, uh, they expected this heavy band there with g- g- screaming electric, uh, uh, electric guitar and, and organ and B3. And instead, Fred Penner is the uh, is the uh, 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 guitar player. That's different. It's like what the heck? He's a folk singer. So we went there, and I'm surprised we didn't get fired. But we were there and doing comedy routines there, as well as folk songs. And because I'm in the same state, Fred didn't know any of the songs we knew in the band. Fred came equipped with all of his folk songs. So the band ended up being Fred Penner's 
band with me playing harmonica and tambourine and banjo backing Fred up on all of his songs. Mm -hmm. And I'm on stage thinking, what the heck happened? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the audience is requesting songs and they're requesting songs that from the hit parade that I knew from the bands I was in. So I ended up singing them and acting them out and because Fred's playing acoustic guitar with them, they're like, like we're playing Led Zeppelin and Santana and light on, on acoustic guitar. It's ludicrous. So it became <laughs> funny in the first place. And then I'm acting them out with hats on. And it's like it just went bizarre quickly. And the, the comedy routines came fast and heavy because Fred encouraged me to do whatever wackiness I was doing. Mm -hmm. And it just went crazy fast. And Fred and I did this Sesame Street thing. So and we ended up doing other routines as well. I, one of the things I did was Grover Monsters near and far. And I'd run. So I'd, I'd go up to Fred's face. Fred would be Cookie Monster and says, what is near and far? So I'd go up to his face and say, near and then run away and say far and near and far. And then the last time I do it, I ran to the end of the bar and said far. But this is the largest bar in Canada there. And I ran to the end of the bar and the people at the end of the bar didn't even know there was a band playing. <laughs> and I stood on the pool table at the end of the bar and yelled far and jumped off the pool table and ran back to the stage with the guys who were playing pool that I interrupted their game, chasing me. Oh no. With their pool cues, because <laughs> I screwed up their game, leaping on their table. They chased me to the stage, and it wasn't until they got to the stage that I went on the stage and they realized that I was part of the band, and the whole audience is laughing at me and them with their pool cues about to club wow. me. So they're laughing at them and me and the whole scenario. And then we started drawing an audience coming in to see the comedy there. And on the way down in the elevator, Fred is teaching me the chords to uh, some Gordon Lightfoot song and teaching me the harmonies to these songs for of his. So anyway, this Cornstock band came back to Winnipeg and we started playing in the same bars that Out to Lunch played in. They're requesting the same songs. So I ended up parodying all of the songs that I sang with Out to Lunch. We parodied the hit parade, made fun of everything that I did prior. And then I ended up uh, hiring Mike Klim, who I did that doctor routine mm -hmm. for in the Pantages who was in my favorite band, the D-Drifters, I hired him to be our drummer, uh, and he was comedy, co the comedy guy in that band. So then all of a sudden the comedy went through the roof with Cornstalk. And then we started getting work at community fairs and events in the summertime where it's all families playing. Okay. Uh, all families in the audience at the Morden Corn and Apple Festival and stuff like that. And uh, when we did that, our show was so well received, 
everybody paid attention. The comedy was just, they just loved the comedy because it was always family friendly, even in the bars. And uh, we just got to the point where I couldn't go back in the bars anymore. I said, I don't want to, I don't want to do that anymore. This is what I want to do. Yeah. Entertain families at events like this. So I said, I don't know what is going to happen in my future, but I'm done. You were done getting chased around with pool cues. I said, yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to go back in the bars. So Bob King went on to, he was the bass player at the time. He went on to form another band and write, he writes hilarious songs. Uh, and he went on to do a, a country act in Winnipeg. Fred Penner went on to doing uh, rainbow stage Broadway musical type stuff. And uh, I retired after six years. I reached my the pinnacle of success, the Morgan Corn and Apple Festival. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, that's it. I don't want to do this anymore. So, and then, uh, uh, and the drummer went on to playing in different groups and doing other stuff. So we all went our separate ways. And then uh, things just unfolded for everybody as it should. And Fred started doing uh, uh, kids' songs and uh, did a few of Bob King's songs, Sandwiches Are Beautiful and uh, I Am The Bat and uh, a bunch of Bob, Bob King songs in a kids' show and became uh, famous for that. And someone gave him money to record an album. So we recorded an album with The Cat Came Back in it and boom, his career went off, <laughs> sold. And then... Uh, uh, a friend of mine said to me, uh, it's time for you to come out of retirement. And he built me uh, a human jukebox, which looks like a porta potty uh, with numbers on it. And he built this thing with doors. He said he was going to build it for me and told me what it was all about. And so I told him what I wanted him to do to make doors for my face, mm -hmm. doors for my hand, doors for my feet to open up so I could do different bits. And uh, I made a bunch of noisemakers that sat on part of it and foot pedals with noisemakers. And I played banjo and did a Spike Jones kind of thing where uh, I sang, uh, uh, I'm getting married in the morning. Ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling. <laughs> the bells are going to chime. ding a ling a ling a ling Pull out the stopper. Let's have a whopper. Get me to the church on time, ding-a-ling-a-ling. -a -ling. If I am dancing, roll up the floor. <laughs> so all of that stuff going on while I'm singing. Yeah. And then uh, uh, I did develop 12 different acts and had 12 numbers up there and would do these different performances for 25 cents a laugh, two bits a laugh. People put in a quarter. I'd open <laughs> the doors, do a song. Smart. Slam the doors, two bits more, do the thing. And that act ended up being my ticket into doing working solo. That act took me from New York to uh, Vancouver and all places in between. I toured with that thing. And what year was this? This was in 79. Uh, and uh, I ended up working anywhere from... Uh, 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 Pete Seeger's festival in New York to uh, folk festivals in Toronto and a kids festival in Vancouver 
and uh, when I and at the same time I was working in bars at night as a solo act and uh, uh, doing routines doing almost the same things but anyway uh, ended up at this kids festival in Vancouver and uh, I'd written a song and Rafi was one of my main audience he'd come and see my show every time I was doing these uh, the jukebox there and uh, I don't think he ever put a quarter in though oh oh he'd just he watch he'd watch free <laughs> fair. but anyway he he uh, phoned me and said I like that song you're singing something in my shoe I want to record it and uh, so he recorded my song and Sesame Street called him and said, uh, Rafi, we like that song that you sing about something in my shoe. We want you to do a music video of it on Sesame Street. And he said, no, kids shouldn't be watching TV. Television's bad for kids. They should be outside playing. So I won't do it. But why don't you call the guy that wrote the song, Al Simmons. He's got no scruples. He'll do it. <laughs> so I did it. <laughs> And I, it played on Sesame Street for about 10 years solid. Wow. wow. And then they, they stopped playing it. And I guess as part of the contract that I signed, they destroyed all the tapes, threw it away. Oh, no. And I thought it was lost forever. And then I found a tape of it and I put it on YouTube. And uh, anybody that's listening now, you could, find a, you could find my YouTube channel, Al Simmons Entertainer, and find that song as well as me in the human jukebox and me in cornstalk with Fred Penner and some of this vintage footage. Wow. Anyway, what a crazy story, eh? Yeah. yeah. What a ride. And it's yours. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. And so you have three albums, correct? <laughs> yes. And one of them is... Oh, well, I have four albums. I'm sitting on one of them now. Ooh. This is it going to be released no, this, this year? I'm not releasing it. It's in my pants. This is my album. Oh, I'm sitting on. Okay, him. stop it. You got that him. Was good. That was okay. really good. Yes, yeah, but, that was really good. But you know where I left off, where um, <laughs> where the Sesame Street thing, that is still something like uh, thirty five years ago. So it it went through a whole bunch of other things after that. But that basically takes me to when my career took off. It it was the Human Jukebox that was sort of the the push. I ran for the rhinoceros party in Winnipeg as Al Jukebox Simmons. The rhinoceros party? Uh, yeah. It was, it was like a fake uh, party. Uh, political party. Political party. Oh. Ran for office. Ran for uh, parliament in Ottawa. You did? Yeah. Wow. And, and what was like the, the What basis? was your platform? Yeah. Well, my, I had a numerous ones. One was I wanted to raise uh, the tables in the House of Commons uh, by uh, six inches, raise the desks so more deals can get done under the table. Oh. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> I wanted to form a, a cartel of snow-producing nations uh, and export snow to cool off the Middle East crisis. Oh, my gosh. But they never <laughs> didn't went Didn't work, no. no. They didn't like Jean it. Chrétien cancelled that he... He changed the rules so there could be no crazy party anymore, no rhino party. 
he altered the rules so that you couldn't possibly do it anymore. And the reason was uh, because uh, the Rhino Party wanted to uh, attach tugboats to Newfoundland and Labrador and drag it out into the ocean far enough so that it wouldn't no longer be a half hour behind time. It would be a full hour to make it more easily... You know, because they're half hour behind. It's ludicrous. It's too hard to keep track of. These are real solutions. Yeah. So we're going to drag it out. And he said, anybody that would separate Canada by dragging one province out into the ocean is wrong. We're not going to allow this anymore. Wow. So they kicked out the parties because of the yeah, party. Yeah, so they're no more goofy parties. Wow, you've made a huge impact. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Across... <laughs> All types of uh, organizations. Yeah. So in 1996, if I'm correct, that's when you won a Juno. I won a Juno, but I, I, that was for one of my CDs. But I, I should have won for the other two as well, but they picked the wrong one those years. And why is that? They, I don't know. They made a mistake. They, they picked the wrong one to give a Juno to. I don't know why they, how that happens. Why do you think that the other two should have won over that, the one that won? No, he's saying in the years that they came out. Mine oh. should have won. <laughs> wow. Okay, I missed that. Sorry. But yeah. I, I'm with you. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm a little behind. All three should have won. <laughs> yeah. They all should have won, years. but they made a mistake. Yeah. Oh, okay. They picked the okay. wrong ones. Yeah. That's fair. And what? did you go to the... Did, do you go on stage? Oh, I went, yes. Yeah? I went to the thing and I... What did you wear? I wore uh, the suit that I wore at Manitoba Hydro. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Consistency. <laughs> yeah, no. But I, I, uh, I went there and I just wore normal clothes. Oh. And went and they announced, the, they said who the nominees were or whatever. And they said who won. And I sat there and I heard my name and I heard the name of the CD. And I just sat there thinking, I don't know what. And my wife was beside me. Said, "That's you, that's you. Go." I, I, it didn't dawn on me that I could have possibly won. So I stumbled onto the stage and I made the perfect acceptance speech. Wow. I just thanked everybody that was to be thanked. I didn't think it through either. It just all tumbled out of me perfectly. And then my knees started to shake, and my hands started to shake, and it was like. I should have just said thank you and left, but instead, I they had uh, like uh, they had me on the big screen mm -hmm. beside me, like the the like the video footage of me on the big screen, and I looked over at, at it and I said, "Pay no attention to the man on the big screen; he knows not what he's talking about. That <laughs> it's not. Listen to me, not him." <laughs> and they almost came with a hook and dragged me away. He's he's not real. It's me you should be listening to. They start playing the music. They're dragging me away. <laughs> Putting me in a straight jacket. Oh, wow. Well, that's one of the, I would imagine, one of the more memorable oh, Juno acceptance speeches. Yeah, so anyway, it was pretty crazy. That's interesting. So what after that, going into the 2000s? Well, then I went from there to... Uh, recording uh, another CD that that lost, and then uh, that was '97, and then after that, uh, the record industry was sort of going through turmoil, 
and people were stopping buying CDs and you know they were online or you got it free and all of that stuff was going on and I thought what the heck is all this all about I don't know so I just I never recorded another one hmm. but you kept performing all kept performing everything. and working more on the comedy side of it the props comedy side of it so working on shtick comedy and uh, and still at still at the time I was doing adult concerts and kids shows mm -hmm. at the same time I would and doing almost the same material some of it didn't translate if I was in a school doing a kids show in a school uh, uh, a lot of the material didn't work because only the teachers would laugh but my favorite audience has always been a family so I can do anything I want so the adults will laugh and then I would have uh, a pun that the adults only would laugh at and I would have a, a slapstick thing that the kids would laugh at at the same time so that that was great but when I would do an adult show I would leave out some of the slapstick and uh, so it, it continued like that uh, till now which is still what I do a lot of times when I tour in the US I'm doing more vaudeville shows and they go for the it's all adults down there kids shows uh, uh, they don't have the same kind of thing here uh, where they you'd have Fred Penner or Raffi or Sharon Lois and Bram kind of thing down there it's Disney and Sesame Street is mm -hmm. mainly what it is the competition down there are you'd have a stage full of uh, people dressed in uh, fun fur costumes you know it's like you know whatever Bonzo the bear and his oh, okay, dancing yeah. troupe okay, it's yeah. like it's not the same as mm -hmm. here interesting yeah I want to talk a little bit about your inventions because those are like they're so extravagant well you, those go back to uh, to Bob Peters who I played with in this bar band and initially he uh, was an inventor he was an electronics genius he he built his own Leslie speaker which is a speaker for a, a keyboard like an organ where the top of it twirls like the, and creates the Doppler effect so like when a train goes by and goes you know you it when it's coming towards you it's a certain pitch and it goes away or a car going by so the Leslie speaker turns and you play a note and it goes and it's got a neat effect when you hear it uh, for the, the B3 Leslie but he didn't want to buy one he built his own <laughs> why buy one when you can build your own out of a record table a turntable with variable speeds and a stadium horn like a big red stadium horn that you blow and uh, uh, he put a, a, a little speaker facing upright on the turn record turntable in the center had a cottage cheese container over top of it with a hole in it where the speaker the uh, the stadium horn goes so the speaker fed into that state that stadium horn and the the uh, uh, the speaker turned with the turntable but the cottage cheese container uh, uh, 
Yeah, it, it all turned on top of that. That's what it was. So the stadium horn is turning, mm. blasting the sound coming out of that speaker. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, it's doing that wah-wah, and he's controlling it with the bicycle, with a bicycle uh, gear shifter. <laughs> what? Yeah. And he balanced it uh, with uh, chewing gum and plasticine to get it to, so it wouldn't wobble out of control. And he just put it in a, uh, was it a cardboard box or a wooden box? And it worked better. It sound, In my opinion, it sounded, had more jam than a real Leslie speaker. Interesting. When, he, when I saw that and I saw how he made it, I thought that is incredible in build, inventing something like that. So I thought I'm going to build, invent something. So I invented an exploding toilet seat that I used only on stage. Uh, I thought you were going to say only once, it sounds like. No, only once, that's right. Uh, I, yeah, I w wouldn't be releasing my album if... if <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. For that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I had in it uh, noisemakers like horns and uh, auga horns and bells and sirens. So, and... Uh, uh, and and then at the end, the toilet seat lid would open, and a hand would come out and wave. And then I put flags in eventually, but this hand would come up and wave. And then I put gunpowder in it, so uh, black powder, so with toaster wire element from a toaster that I plugged into the wall, and uh, I had a switch on it. So the band would play... Uh, Bob Peters would play and I'd be playing uh, roll out the barrel auga we'll have a barrel of sun fun ding dong dong roll out the barrel we'll have the blues on the run ding ling 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 all pushing buttons and making all the sounds coming out of that thing and then at the very end they'd hold the chord a diminished chord or something exciting and the lid would open up and a hand would wave and then it would go <laughs> that was my first invention wow and the crowd huh. was wild and uh we were playing again in portage la prairie which they love you there which which has big historical significance we were playing in the bar in town where my friend speed walker was we're playing in the bar this time, not in across the street oh. at the Mayfair. We've hit the big time. Wow. Yeah. So on Monday night, I figure we're gonna, I'm gonna attract a crowd. So I put in double the charge of gun black powder in there. This is gonna, we're gonna do it upright. So at the end, our big ending, the crowd liked all the routines we did, and they're clapping for this ending song. And push, it opens up, and I push the button. Nothing. Oh no. I'm pushing the button and there's nothing. And it's like the audience is waiting. The band is playing and they're looking at me. I'm thinking, oh no, darn it. So I look into the toilet seat again and push the button to see if I can see what was wrong. Now anybody that's listening <laughs> can immediately see the wily Coyote moment Absolutely. coming up. Because I looked in the thing, and I time slowed down. 
and I realized my error immediately. And I saw the the toaster element wire turn red. Uh oh. And I I act reacted quick enough that I turned my head uh, one degree to the left. That's how how far I escaped the danger, and it went boom in my face. Wow. And uh, uh, I looked up. And my hair, uh, smoke was coming off my hair. Oh, no. My glasses wow. were, were totally <clears throat> fogged over. And my eyebrow, one eyebrow was miss, missing. <gasps> the crowd went berserk. <laughs> they just cheered and shouted. And they were just cheering. And the band told me they gave us a standing ovation. <laughs> and I left. I didn't see because my glasses were fogged over and my eyelids were singed together. Oh, my gosh. So I left the stage. I knew where the bathroom was right off the stage. I just burst in there and splashed my face with my glasses on with freezing cold water and then took my glasses off and splashed more and more and more. I didn't burn myself, but my eyebrow was gone. My eyelash on one side was singed together. And uh, anyway, we packed the place from then on. Nice. Wow. So you did what you set out to do. Yeah. And then also I, <laughs> yeah. I determined that inventions is going to be my thing. I'm going to invent little crazy gadgets. And I went on to invent a whole bunch of silly, ridiculous things. Musical instruments and a, a baritone horn with three trumpets welded to it. That Holy smokes. Play uh, the 1812 Overture and uh, 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 crazy hats and wow. costumes and bizarre costumes my wife helped me build. and Just went on and on and on. How many inventions would you say you've oh, made? Oh, countless thousands. I would say really? thousands. Wow. Because I... So many of them I, I use once and it didn't work. And then I'd go back and say, hey, this is a good idea. I'd bring it out and it would work, you know. It's huh. just on and on and on. And costumes, endless costumes. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's awesome. And you use them in your show? Yeah. All the things that you use pretty much are inventions of yours? Yeah. Have and you ever used ones that are other people's inventions? No, I was I guess far... other than the human jukebox that was well, made by that, a friend of yours. Well, that, yeah, my friend Bart Bourne built that, built the box for me, and then I put the things into it. Oh, And yes. my friend Bart was a uh, an inventor, too, uh, so he inspired me, too, and he would help me out. He'd be my first call of how to do stuff. So he helped me out with numerous of them, too. And uh, other people too, you know. I didn't. I wasn't good working with fiberglass, so I'd get them to help me too. Oh, cool! Wow, uh, that's awesome. Well, I think we're just on the tail end. Do you have another question? I don't have another question. Do you? Uh, no, but I do want to say it's really cool because you've been doing children's music or a lot of family shows for so many years that our friends, us included, we've grown up with it. So now we're in our twenties. But we're like we're still excited like to go see Al Simmons shows, and I think that's really cool. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, it's fun for me to get audiences of, you know, various ages, you know, uh, coming back, you know, because they knew me when they were young. Yeah, yeah. There's one. There's one small little point that I should add on the end. Sure. That's a curious thing that happened almost a year. Well, a year ago in February, 
my storage building for all my props and costumes burnt to the ground with everything in it. Right, we've heard about that. Yeah. So all of that went up in smoke. And that was everything. Everything. And I had stuff saved from the early days. I had the exploding toilet seat in there. Right. Wow. Still, everything. So, but I, I rescued some of the things. My horse bicycle I went in and pulled out. Some of the things I went in and pulled out. But the other things my wife and I've been scrambling my, like mad to rebuild. And I'm rebuilding new ones, too. I came in town today to to do shopping to buy parts for new stuff that I'm creating. So it's never going to end. There's nothing going to stop me. <laughs> and there's, awesome. a, for some of your upcoming shows, there'll be always something new. Are you always creating? I mean, every show has something new. Amazing. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, though, I I actually, when the fire happened, I, I pretty well gave up. I said to my wife, we can't, I can't carry on. It's impossible. But there was a, uh, my friend Heather Bishop, put together a GoFundMe page mm -hmm. and raised fifty thousand dollars wow. for me. So without that, that's fantastic. It would have been, it would have been toast because none of that stuff you can't insure. The bizarre things. There's right. no how do you put a price insurance tag on company that? that's going to cover it. So yeah. Anyway, I'm nothing's going to stop me. Amazing. That's amazing. So you said you, the pinnacle of success for you was the uh, Morden Corn and Apple Festival. Oh yeah. 2019 can we expect you there oh yeah Again? oh i'd love to go back i haven't been invited back what for really? a long time ever since i climbed the clock tower there oh no uh, well that'll do it yeah but but uh no i've i've done other things since i now i have different levels of success and every show that i do i feel is is fantastic i'm just thrilled i'm doing I worked with the Vancouver Symphony recently wow. and Winnipeg. I work with them often and Winnipeg Symphony often. And I'm invited back all the time to a vaudeville festival in Seattle. And uh, but I'm I'm exploring new things. So I'm, I'm going to be uh, doing uh, uh, something that I've done a few times before at a coffee house in Winnipeg uh, where I'm going to sing. Just go with a guitar and banjo and just sing songs. Great. And awesome. tell stories. No props. Oh. Why? An intimate Allison's performance. Because I want to scare myself again. Yeah. It's too easy for me hiding behind my props. I want to get scared. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And is that coming up in the next month? In the, in the next month, yeah. Oh. Uh, it's at uh, the coffee house. I forget what it's called. And... Oh, now I can't even think. My mind's a blank, but it's a coffee house in Winnipeg. We'll find the event and we'll, we'll send yeah. it out to And then I'm at West End Cultural Center uh, being backed up by Ego Spank. They're a band locally. Yeah. And it felt like I went for one of those original auditions because they said, come on over and we'll try out some tunes. So I went to their house and they said, what tunes do you want to do? Oh, no. And I, I said to myself, before I went there, I said, I've been through this before. I know what to do. So I went with charts and ideas and songs, played them songs. Let's try this. Let's do this. And they had ideas. I had ideas. So it's going to be fun. That's awesome. Well, thank and you so much. Yeah, that's in December. Okay. Wow, yeah. it's coming up. Yeah. That's awesome. Amazing. So we'll find, we'll find the event for that, and we'll, uh, we'll let everyone know about that. Yeah. This was way too much fun. That's awesome. Yeah. I got carried away telling the story of my life. 
The, it was great. One. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was Lots fantastic. of people probably don't know. You've just been sort of like a person in someone's life, like an entertainer that they've seen so many different times. I remember actually this Folk Fest. I haven't seen you play in a very, very long time when I was very young. And remembering sort of songs or jokes or something that I heard when I was younger and it I, I don't know what that That's means. Me. But then hearing it again, the one song that was Don't Make Me Sing Along, I was crying. I was oh, laughing cool. so hard. I couldn't believe how funny it was. And then I just had to laugh at myself because I just, I couldn't believe how funny it was. You know this song? <laughs> it's like, Don't Make Me Sing Along, but he's like, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. man, was that ever good. I can't. <laughs> yeah. And also singing the I Am For You, like singing that in yeah. Yeah. in uh, elementary school. That, that was, was one of the one songs of that we had to perform at an assembly. And so. then uh, recently I added a second verse to it, G-I-Y-Q, which <laughs> is the second verse. And that's just, and that's new. Yeah. Yeah? G-I-Y-Q-Q. S-I-2-S-I-2-U-R-A-Q-T-S-Y-I-Y-Q. <laughs> so now when you're singing it, the people who've grown up with it, do they... They get the second verse, yeah. And now and they stop singing along and they're, they're just trying to... And listen. then they figure it out, yeah. Oh, that's, that's cool. awesome. Yeah. That's exciting. That's well, amazing. Thank you so much for joining us for our yes. season finale. Yes, thank you, Al. This we, was we really fun. Yeah. Now, where do I get my paper cut? Oh yeah, we got. Uh, <laughs> actually, through. you know what? We can a... give you the the paper cut at our season finale spaghetti panel. Okay. Oh yeah. So yeah. what this is is we are having a spaghetti fundraiser wind up. Oh, sponsored up. Cool. Sponsored by my dad. He's making the spaghetti, and what we're going to do is have all of our guests come free of charge. Anybody else that wants to come is five dollars, and then we're going to draw some topics and draw some panelists. So the our past guests won't even know if they're going to come up. So we're going to draw a topic, and then maybe you'll be on stage with some cool. of the panelists. Yeah. So and where does that take place? It's at X Hughes Cafe and Lounge, which is on Sargent. Yeah. And when's cool. the date? The date is November 28th at oh. 6.30. Yeah, that that's right. It's like a goodie. Yeah, that's right. So we'll see you there? We'll see you there. Okay, 28th. i got to check my calendar, but... Uh, Fingers crossed. Fun. X Hughes, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. see you there? We'll send out the, the official invite. Thank you to all the listeners for season one. Uh fantastic season thank you to all of our guests and thank, thank you, you for, for cutting, cutting deep, deep with us, us on paper, paper cut, cut podcast, podcast. Thanks. thanks 